Welcome to Riffs on Riffs, where we explore the surprising connection between songs past and present and share the fascinating stories that make music a universal language. I'm Joe Watson. I'm here with my co-host. I feel I want to do it like a Captain Caveman, like Toby <laughs> Braswell. What's up, my friend? How are you? Ah, oh, man, living the dream. As we know, dreams can be wonderful or full of nightmares. Mm -hmm. In today's episode, we're going to discuss some of the most disturbing songs that we've ever heard. And I, I got to say, when, when you brought up this idea for this episode, you know, I had to really pause and think, right? Yeah, I, I get it, man. Look, there's some tough material in this episode. So we do want to be sure to point out that some of the content in this episode deals with sexual assault. So those listeners that may be triggered, please take necessary precautions. Yeah, well said, well said. So thinking of these types of songs was a little challenging for me because I think my mind often, you know, subconsciously makes me forget them. You know, mm -hmm. lucky for me, all I had to do was Google songs that make you say, ew. <laughs> Did and, you find uh, CNC Music Factory? <laughs> that too. Right? <laughs> Once I did that, you know, and, and Googled it, I, I turned into like a regular Johnny Mnemonic. Wow, Johnny Mnemonic. That is a blast from the past. That was a short story by novelist and cyberpunk pioneer William Gibson, which was later adapted as a movie starring the greatest actor of all time, maybe after William Shatner, uh, Keanu Reeves, who who plays the role of a living mnemonic device. And that is a, that's a fun word to say, Tob, right? It is. Mnemonic. It is. Like, do you remember the Muppets, that song? <laughs> do, 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 do. You want to you do the other part? <laughs> that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, a mnemonic device is a technique that people use to remember things. You're definitely showing your age if you're going to go back and use a reference like that. So... All right, let's move on. What track kicks off our list of songs that are just plain wrong? So glad you asked. So the first song is from hip-hop artist Royce the Five-Nine. So Ryan Daniel Montgomery was born on July 5th, 1977 in Detroit, Michigan. He's often looked at as being one of the very best writers and MCs in the game right now. And his work shows that. He's one half of the group with Eminem called Bad Meets Evil, one fourth of the MC supergroup called Slaughterhouse, and lead MC for the hip-hop duo Prime with DJ Premier. Well, if that is not enough accolades, he's also ghostwritten for Dr. Dre and Sean Puffy Combs. As far as his name is concerned, Montgomery used to wear a pendant with an R around his neck in school. And the R resembled the Rolls-Royce logo, and eventually everyone started calling him that. Well, on the 5'9", that's easy. Just That's how tall he is, so that represents his height. Well, it does. And apparently the numbers 5 and 9 have also taken a larger-than-life prominence in several instances, so much that he actually looks at being an MC as a calling, if you will. So Royce came out with a song called Tabernacle from his sixth studio album, Layers, in 2016. The song is very autobiographical and retells how he met Eminem, the events surrounding his grandmother's death, and the birth of his son. That is a lot of ground to cover in one song. It is, it is, especially since it all happened on the same day, December 29th. Ah, uh, okay. And as if that wasn't strange enough, his grandmother and his son were in the same hospital. His grandmother on the fifth floor and his son was being born on the ninth. Again, wow. all on the same day. That reminds me of that... Um what was that song by Live that was really popular where lightning crashes, right? Kind of that same thing where it's, mm -hmm. 
you know, grandma dies, son is being born. That's a, it's, that's a crazy, kind of a spooky story. Well, we'll definitely put the song Tabernacle on the playlist for this episode. Look, I know that Royce is one of your favorites, so I'm sure we'll be discussing him further in the near future. Well, with me living so close to the Motor City, how can we not? But Tabernacle isn't the reason I brought up Royce. He has a song called Part of Me from his fourth studio album, Street Hop, that was released in 2009. The song was produced by Carlos Brody, who was a member of Puff Daddy's producer team, The Hitman, and details the events of a young man one evening with some ladies. Hmm, I guess, yeah, that's one way to put it. Well, when you first hear this track, you can, I mean, it's a great story. You can feel the tension building. You just know this is not going anywhere good. Right. Well, in this song, this this guy is busy talking to one woman, and then another woman approaches them, and all three end up conversing and then leaving the bar together for a nightcap. Hmm. Well, they end up in a hotel room, and that's when the guy starts not to feel so well. Uh Uh-oh. Falls unconscious, wakes up to find out that something is missing, hence the title, Part of Me. Hmm. Hmm. So, let's not keep everybody in limbo here. What, Mm -hmm. uh... What's missing? What, did the girls take something? Like, did they did they steal his phone and kind of just got out of there? Well, so not his phone, but you could say that it was more personal than his phone. Oh, so they like grabbed his wallet. They got his ID and his credit cards, and they just hightailed it. And now he's yeah, he's broke, huh? So not money, but it was definitely something of value and personal. Oh, not money, but <laughs> personal, like. Uh, it's the family jewels. In a manner of speaking, yes. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> but yep. I don't want to completely ruin the song. Let's give the audience Too late. a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give our audience a chance to check out the song and let us know what they think. It's definitely a cautionary tale, and hopefully it gives some people pause about chasing a certain lifestyle. Well, absolutely. So the next song that is just plain wrong is called The Janitor from underground MC Apathy on his album Eastern Philosophy in 2006. Apathy is one member of the underground supergroup Army of Pharaohs. And Tobe, I know you're a fan of this MC. So why this song? What makes it stand out to you? I mean, I heard it, so I know, but please tell everybody else like, what's, what's going on like here. You still ha- like, I heard it, Toby, but I still want to question why yeah, you right, like it. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, three things. First of all, apathy can write battle raps all day long. And I think that sometimes when people think of MCs like this, they feel that that's all they can do. Well, apathy actually happens to be a very good storyteller as well. Now, with this song, it discusses his thoughts of a twisted janitor who likes to spy on children. Yeah, this is a twisted and dark tale. And once again, it's kind of a warning, right? It's pointing out that sick people like this exist, and they're probably in your neighborhood, hopefully not at your school, but we've heard too many horror stories. Right, right. Well, another thing that really caught my attention was the production on the track. Usually for this type of content, the music would match it, right? It would be dark and brooding. This song's producer, Eighth Wanda, took a different approach. He sampled the theme song from The Odd Couple, of all things. Yeah, and that, honestly, it just makes it, like, more disturbing. It's creepy. It's like this (laughs) clown kind of vibe. It's, yeah, it's super creepy. Well, the theme song from The Odd Couple was composed by Neil Hefty. And Hefty might not be a household name, but there's a really good chance that you'd recognize some of the people that he's worked with, including cats like, I don't know, Frank Sinatra, Count Basie, Charlie Parker. So, yeah. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. 
And you know, he just became one of my favorite composers because outside of composing the Odd Couple theme song, he also composed the theme song for Batman, which became wow. a top 40 hit in 1966. You know, we have to do that one too, Tub. So I'm going to cue you. You ready? No, 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 no. Batman! There it is. Well done. All right. Well, we have discussed a couple of tracks with lyrics that are intentionally disturbing in order to make a point. So now let's chat about a song that is still a staple on the radio. It's charted twice in two separate decades, and it features a voice that Tommy Mottolo himself has referred to as one of the best voices I've ever heard since Daryl Hall. I mean, that that is high praise. That's high praise, yeah. Oh, and for this song, the first line of this song is very disturbing. So you must be referring to the hit from Benny Mardonis, Into the Night, off of his 1980 album, Never run, never hide. And yes, those opening lines, yikes. Allow me to quote him. She's just 16 years old. Leave her alone, they say. Heck yeah, you leave her alone. That is super (laughs) creepy. For one, Benny was 34 at the time of this song's release. Yeah, yikes. Yeah, the video for this track doesn't make it any better. So we see Benny show up at this girl's house and her dad is the one that mouths the leave her alone lyrics. Then Benny stares longingly at her through her window and calls her from a payphone. Finally, they fly off on a magic carpet and make out. Oh my gosh. Super creepy. It's so bad. Yeah. So yeah, I have no idea how this video ever got made. It is disturbing from start to finish. The whole thing gives me the willies. Here's a little wrist trivia for you. The term the willies likely originated from the French ballet Giselle that debuted in Paris in 1841. Giselle is a young heroine that falls in love with a bad dude that is pretending to be someone else and is already engaged to another woman. Wow. Yeah. So she dies of a broken heart and joins the Willis, the ghost of young girls who were betrayed by their lovers and die before their wedding day. Well, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And in this case, the Willis take to the forest on moonlit nights and they dance men to death. Nice. Right? So that is both a terrifying prospect and maybe a fitting end to Benny's Into the Night track. Well, before we get too carried away, we need to point out that despite the creepy lyrics and the even more disturbing video, the content and inspiration for the song was completely platonic and even sweet in its intent. Yeah, so Benny was living in Spanish Harlem at the time, and one of his neighbors was a family that had three teenagers. Well, this family, the dad, gets up and just leaves his family one day. Apparently, he was a set designer on Broadway or something. He lands this big gig. Instead of being like, hey, guys, we finally made it and taking care of his family, when he lands his big break, he he abandons them, and he runs off with the chorus girl from the show. That sounds like someone I'd like to see visited by the Willis. <laughs> yeah, we would like to <laughs> see him dance night, to death. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I think so did Benny, right? So he, he kind of took all the kids under his wing. He gave them odd jobs so they'd be able to have money for school and things. Mm-hmm. Well, the oldest daughter would clean his apartment, and the son would run errands. And the 16-year-old daughter, Heidi, would walk his dog, Zanky. And here's a quote from Benny on that. So I said, look, Heidi, I'm up all night. I sleep late because I'm sort of living the life of a rock star, even though I wasn't a rock star. I said, (laughs) here's my key. Every day before school, you take Zenki out for a walk in the morning, let him do his business, come back, feed him, and then go to school. And I'll give you $50 a week for doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a nice turn to help the family out. And he goes on to explain, well, one night... Robert Tepper and I were up writing songs. Bobby kept playing the chord changes, and we tried like 18 melodies and 30 kinds of lyrics, and all of a sudden, 
the key in the door turned and I said, my God, it's daylight because, you know, we like to keep the blinds down. And in she walks, 16 years old, dressed for school in a miniskirt, little stacked heels, adorable, 16 going on 21. She said, you been up all night? And of course, it was obvious. I said, yeah, we have. She says, okay, come on, Zanke. And she walks the dog out. When she leaves and go out the door, my partner goes, oh my God. I said, hey, Bob, she's just 16. Leave her alone. And literally five minutes later, I said, play that lick again, Bobby. And so we played the lick and I went singing. She's just 16 years old. Leave her alone, they say. And then I thought about her dad and what he had done. And that's where I got separated by fools who don't know what love is yet. And the chorus was, you're too young for me, but if I could fly, I'd pick you up and take you into the night and show you love like you've never seen. Then the verse, it's like having it all, letting it show. It's like having a dream where nobody has a heart. It's like having it all and watching it fall apart because his success was not the family's success. It was just his. I can't measure my love. There's nothing to compare it to. It was all about the abandonment of this family and this 16-year-old girl. So it all makes a little more sense now, but I still can't fathom why he let that video get made, especially since he wrote the song and knew it had nothing to do with the video content. That that is what's crazy to me, right? Like, I don't know if that's just bad management or something, but I'm with you. Well, the story and the song, it did change lives. It catapulted Benny into stardom. And Heidi became so popular that she started getting invited to A-list parties in New York City. She fell in love with the son of a hotel builder from San Juan, and then she and her mother moved there. And every year, she'd send Benny a Christmas card saying, you changed my life. Let's talk a little bit more about Benny's voice. I mean, it is so gritty and powerful, but this was his only hit. So the question is, what happened? Yeah, like the way he like just kind of riffs at the end of that song is just insane, right? Like my throat hurts just listening to it, so I can't even imagine what it felt like to sing it. Right. But, well, what happened to Benny? Well, this, the same demons that grip so many artists, drugs and alcohol. He became an addict around the same time that Into the Night became a hit, and the disease prevented him from touring or even showing up most of the time. So apparently, he was holed up in a warehouse for months. Mm. He was supposed to go on tour, and then nobody could find him, right? So this is pre-cell phones and everything else, so he just disappears. And as Benny himself has stated, I blew my own career at that point. You know what? That is very sad. But thankfully, he eventually did get himself cleaned up and making music again. Benny passed away on June 22nd of this year from complications of Parkinson's. Well, now that we know the history behind Into the Night, maybe I can actually enjoy the song now. So let's turn our attention to another song that's always struck me as being extraordinarily creepy. Neil Diamond's Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. Yeah, I mean, the title alone just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Oh, well, okay. Heebie-jeebies. Is that better or worse than like the willies? What's yeah, the... It, it's the same. I'm okay. just fle- it's the same. I'm just flexing my lexicon. Oh, look at you. Dazzling us with your vocabulary <laughs> prowess. I like it. <laughs> All right. So why don't we take a look at Neil's lyrics? Here's the chorus. Girl, you'll be a woman soon. Please come take my hand. Girl, you'll be a woman soon. Soon, you'll need a man. I don't know, man. That just sounds super creepy to me. Am I, am I reading too much into this? I can certainly hear why you'd be bothered, but the verses of the song are less about an older dude creeping on a younger girl and more about the bad boy rebel guy and the girl he loves hearing from her friends and family that he's no good for her. I'm actually a little bit more concerned about another famous Neil Diamond song. Oh, you mean Cracklin' Rosie, right? I, I, I have no idea what that song is about. I mean, 
Cracklin' Rose, you're a store-bought woman? What what does that even mean? Well, that song is allegedly about cheap, sparkling wine. Cracklin' Rose (laughs) Apparently he was drinking it while he was writing it? (laughs) Apparently. Apparently. Cracklin' Rose was popular in Canada, and that inspired Diamond to write the song. But the song I'm referring to is Sweet Caroline. Oh, so that's the one they sing at the Red Sox games, right? So, I mean, we got crowds of people singing it. So what bothers you about that one? Not so much the lyrics, you know, reaching out, touching me, touching you. It's the inspiration of the now lyrics. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little <laughs> creeped out now. <laughs> and we're just virtual, but... Uh, it depends on who's saying but it, But the right? way you're reaching out into the screen, Toby. Ah, right, 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 right. Well, actually, it's the inspiration for the lyrics that actually give me pause. Well, I thought Neil wrote that song about his wife at the time, Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. He has said that he, he wrote that song during a session and, and he just needed, like he's writing a song, he needs a three-syllable name because guess what? You can't get Marsha to rhyme, I guess maybe unless you say Marsha, 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 but then you're just rhyming with Marsha. So right. it doesn't help you at all. Well, my question is, you know, if I were Marsha, like you could use my middle name. Did you, did you even try? <laughs> did There's you more even syllables, try? you know, like what are we doing here? He did say that in a 2014 appearance on the Today Show, but in the past, he has told a different story, always attributing the inspiration to a photo he saw at the time of a young Caroline Kennedy, who was only nine at the time. Yeah. Well, so here's a quote from Neil in a 2007 interview. So seven years earlier, right? It was a picture of a little girl dressed in the nines in her riding gear next to her pony. It was such an innocent, wonderful picture, and I immediately felt there was a song in there. So, yeah, combine that with, like, what eventually becomes the lyrics to the song. Like, that's really creepy. Sorry. Sorry, Neil. Creepy. Right, right. So, in in this case, it seems that it's a mashup of two ideas. He saw the picture and knew there was a song in there. And then a couple years later, when he was trying to write a song about his wife, he went back to the Caroline idea to borrow her name. Okay. Well, I'm just going to, we're just going to say that this is just a good songwriter using artistic license. And look, certainly we can never know someone's intent. And Caroline Kennedy herself was thrilled to have the song sung to her for her 50th birthday celebration. 41 years later, right? 40, right? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. When she was grown. Yep. So I'll, allow me to share some lyrics with you that leave far less to an interpretation. I don't usually say things like this to girls your age, but when I saw you coming out of school that day, that day I knew, I knew. Christine, 16, I've got to have you. I've got to have you. Ugh, yeah, that, that would be the song Christine, 16 by Kiss off of their 1977 album, Love Gun. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious what this one is about. So, right, right. yeah, I mean, the rest of the lyrics are not any better. Well, first off, you know, how does this song get written? Second of all, how does it get put on an album? Yeah. And, and third, how does it get released as a single? Right. And I guess my fourth point, how does it make it to the radio? I, I'm running I, out of numbers here. I'm yeah, running out of numbers. There's so many bad decisions by so many people along the way. I, I have no idea. But somehow, not only did it make it to the radio, but then people listened to it because it peaked at number 25 on the Billboard Hot 100. I mean, I guess some stations did boycott it, but geez, man, not, like, not enough. Look, I have, a, I have a daughter. She just turned 17. And you better believe that I've got some words for Gene Simmons on this topic. Yeah. We all know people that have been impacted by sexual abuse. And there is no question that the music industry has somehow managed to escape the much-needed reckoning of the Me Too movement. 
Look, it's not too strong to say that all of this sickens me. And I just want to point out that some of the, quote, heroes of rock and roll, like a lot of them have just managed to escape the repercussions of their, there's no other way to put it. It's predatory behavior. Mm -hmm. So first I'm going to start with Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin, right? He literally kidnaps a 14-year-old Lori Maddox and then keeps her under lock and key in his L.A. hotel room. So, which is completely enabled by everyone around him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or Steven Tyler, who took legal guardianship of a then 16-year-old Julia Holcomb so he could transport her across state lines while on tour and the pressure he put on her to abort their child. Or David Bowie, who was notorious for his baby groupies. I mean, he literally called them that, baby groupies. Or Iggy Pop, who not only had sex with 13-year-old girls, he wrote about it in a song, Look Away. I think I'd like to change that to be, like, locked away. Two words, R. Kelly. Ugh, yeah. Or Don Henley, who had 15- and 16-year-old prostitutes at his house. I'm pretty sure they call that sex trafficking. And then they had to call 911 because one of them overdosed. And you know what his response was to all of that? Let's write a song called Dirty Laundry and Blame the Media, right? Like, it's just not right. Well, sadly, there are too many predators to mention. Mick Jagger, Ted Nugent, Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, Marvin Gaye, and a simple internet search will tell you all you need to know. Yeah, we just wanted to kind of shine a light on the evil side of the music business, and hopefully some of this education results in change. There are far more Jeffrey Epsteins out there than we care to admit, and something needs to be done. For anyone who is a victim or has something to report, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-HOPE. So these are difficult and traumatic topics, but the only way that we can make a difference is by speaking up, getting help, and affecting change. So yeah, that's, uh, that's a, rough, it's a rough one today, my friend, but uh, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode. Can you tell the good people all that we covered today? Absolutely. Well, we took a look at some songs that were just plain wrong, some of them intentionally. So in order to make statements on society, like Royce to Five Nines, Part of Me and Apathy's The Janitor. Others, perhaps not as intentional, like Benny Mardones' track Into the Night and a few tracks from Neil Diamond. Finally, we pointed out the lack of accountability for predatory behavior and pedophilia in the music industry. Well, hopefully a reckoning is coming soon. Be sure to check out the playlist for this episode on Spotify and Apple Music. Just do a search for Riffs on Riffs, but be warned that because of the nature of this episode, some of the songs are just uncomfortable to listen to. If you do have a moment, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen, and be sure to connect and dialogue with us on social at Riffs on Riffs. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time for Riffs on Riffs. Keep listening. Huzzah. Thanks for listening to Riffs on Riffs. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on your Apple Podcast app. Riffs on Riffs is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to executive producers, Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. And assistant producer, Declan Roars. You can find Riffs on Riffs anywhere and everywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. I'm Toby Braswell. And I'm your co-host, Joe Watson. Thank you for listening to Rips on Rips.
This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.